With sports car racing news from around the globe, this is the Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. We've got John DeGeese joining me in Chicago for our next year in review episode. This time, it is our IMSA year in review, primarily focused on the WeatherTech Championship, but we'll have a couple other notes sprinkled in as well how are you doing john doing okay how about yourself doing well let's talk about another exciting season of imsa racing we'll break it down as follows segment one will be dedicated to the prototype class segment two we'll be talking about gt lamar and gt daytona i will throw in a little bit about uh, what has been known until next year as the continental tire sports car challenge in there as well Finally, we'll wrap things up in our third segment by looking ahead to the future of IMSA and, again, specifically the WeatherTech Championship, but perhaps some other topics in there, too. So let's dive into the prototypes here first. Action Express Racing won the championship uh, with Eric Curran and Felipe Nasser. Core Autosport nearly stole the title away with a Pro-Am lineup and nearly stole all the headlines in so doing. That was a really remarkable run for them. Uh, Another important storyline, it is, as we found out uh, around Road America time, the final year of this combined prototype class starting next year, DPI and LMP2 will be in two separate classes. So before we get into the uh, awards that we hand out at the end of each of these segments, John, let's talk about the season in prototype racing. As much as it was a, a great year for Action Express, you know, their their second title in the last three years for, for Eric Curran in the number 31 car, um, Felipe Nasser's first championship in the WeatherTech um, series and his first full season in the championship. Um, I think a lot of people are still th- thinking about the achievement core made with as a privateer team with a LMP2 in contention every single race in in the second half of the season. They, they started with a podium finish at Watkins Glen. Um, uh, um, broke through for the, with the first uh, overall win at Mosport, backed it up with another victory at Road America, um, a podium at Laguna Seca, and um, sure, they finished seventh at Road Atlanta, but they were in the mix of things too, and, and a real nail-biter in, in terms of the championship scenarios and the closing stages. I think that's right. I, I really thought the run that they had in the second half of the season, and it came also, it was interesting timing, right at the point where I think most people who had been defending the combined class, uh, had, had kind of given up. I, I felt like I was one of the last defenders of keeping LMP2 and DPI together. And at a certain point, I felt like, all right, enough's enough. It can't be done, it, and it, it can't be done in an equitable way. And just as I started to feel that way, all of a sudden, Core starts to rattle off these results. They win all these races. They go into Petit with a real puncher's chance at winning a championship and completely changed the narrative. And I think not coincidentally, it's about the same time uh, that, that they turned it around. It was, uh, it was you know, just after uh, IMSA made its decision to, to tear the class apart, and, and they certainly didn't have the data of the second half of the season to make that call. I don't think that ultimately that would have changed anybody's mind, John, but it is interesting the timing of it all, and... Uh, <laughs> Core certainly had to make everyone pause and, and, and think about it once again before the season was all said and done. 
Yeah, and, and also if you look at the last few races, the LMP2 car was arguably at a disadvantage in the BOP compared to where they were earlier in the year. Um, that fuel mileage race at Road America where Colin Brown eked out the win, you know, there were some arguments made there that that car may have had a slight advantage in fuel, yet they were at, um, I would think, maybe a, a bit of a disadvantage at Road Atlanta. And if they had a little more fuel on that tank at, at Road, Road Atlanta for, for the Motul Petit Le Mans, they may have still walked away with the championship. So um, lots of ifs and coulds and shoulds and woulds, but um, I, I think it's still made for some really exciting racing and, and something I'll definitely miss next year w between, you know, battling two different types of platforms and cars, you know, against each other for the overall win. One other story that I think we were tracking throughout the whole year that came as a big surprise, especially given how well Action Express ran with its two Cadillacs all season long, was the relative struggles of Wayne Taylor Racing, which had so dominated this class a year ago at the inception of the DPI format, uh, had that amazing winning streak to start the season and then went kind of quiet in the second half of the year, and, and I think BOP had something to do with that. But when we knew that the Cadillac package was capable of winning, as they were throughout much of the season this year, Wayne Taylor Racing just wasn't there uh, to the same extent. And, and yeah, there were some changes in terms of the driver lineup uh, with that team. But I felt like that was a bit of a surprise. And for them to nearly go the entire season without a win was a big surprise. And they salvaged a pretty lengthy streak of consecutive seasons with a win by winning in dramatic fashion at Petit Le Mans. Yeah, and there was obviously, you know, year to year, there were a lot of changes with that team behind the scenes. Um, the most visible was the, the driver change in, in Ricky Taylor leaving for Team Penske and Ranger Vanderzander joining. But I don't think um, Ranger had anything to do with the team's, you know, disappointing results early in the year. Um, I would rate Ranger right on the, the same level of, of Ricky and two top uh, prototype drivers in, in IMSA competition. And that was proof of that with Ranger getting pole in his first race with the team at Daytona. Um, there was some more crew changes, I would say, year to year on the engineering side and, and things with Wayne Taylor Racing that I think sort of got them off to a shaky start, um, especially when you look at the year before where they were leaps and bounds ahead of Action Express Racing, and especially in the first half of 2017. 2018 was almost the complete opposite where Action Express was considerably ahead of Wayne Taylor racing in, in much of the races. And I think, you know, we, we saw a lot of different elements throughout the year in, in prototype and, um, you know, coupled with also the, the debut of Mazda Team Yost and, and Team Penske into the championship and also um, the race winning program from JDC Miller finally getting their first win overall of, in the championship. I, I think that says a lot as well for the diversity we, we saw in the prototype class this year. And you could throw ESM into the mix with the run that they had at Seabrake too. Uh, and that that's a, another imp story of some importance losing first their sponsor in Patron and then Ultimately, uh, just a little bit before um, we, we sat down to tape this, just a couple days before uh, we got the news that, uh, that that team has run its course, which is unfortunate after nine seasons. But uh, the good news is, and we'll talk about this more later, the Nissans will be on the grid uh, in, in 2019. That is good news. But yeah, you're right. There was a, a lot of different winners at the front of the field. In our WEC year in review show, we spent a lot of time talking about how predictable the top class is in that championship. And it's uh, if parity is what you want, IMS has got it in spades right now in its prototype class. Uh, and certainly in 2018, when you had the P2 cars able to compete with some of the DPIs from time to time, 
I thought it was excellent. So with all that said, let's get into our awards for the prototype class. We'll start with our standout moment of the year. John, what did you have in mind? Yeah, my, my standout moment, I, I think, was the those closing stages at, at, at Petit Lamar, um, just sort of doing the points calculations between the, the 54 and the 31 car and seeing what would happen with, with the, the final round of pit stops and, and how things unfolded there, uh, you know, in, in terms of the championship scenarios. I, I, I think it was sort of like a great David versus Goliath story between Action Express, the proven IMSA champions, you know, the team that's been around for, for quite a while in top prototype racing. And here, Core Autosport, which is you know a largely pro-am run team, privateer squad. Sure, they have the success and experience. They're, they're operators of the factory Porsche program in GTLM. But seeing those two teams on two different levels sort of battle it out with two different types of machinery, um, with two different types of driver lineups was really, really exciting me. And and it was it was great. either way, however, the results came out was going to be uh, an exciting finish. And I, I think it definitely proved that. In, in 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 the way the the championship unfolded and you could throw in then the way that the the race ended too with wayne taylor racing winning in the last few moments uh in the last half of that final lap i think uh, that that just added to it i agree i think that last lap at, at petite was was the highlight of the year in prototype racing it was everything that you you would want your championship to be coming down to the wire you had storylines of plenty Whoever won the championship, it was going to be a great story. Whoever won the race, it was going to be a great story. So uh, I'm totally in agreement there. That was what I had picked as my standout moment of the year. I suspect we're going to agree on driver of the year as well. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll let you go into detail on it, but I'll just tell you up front, no one impressed me more than Colin Brown. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you 100%. Um multiple pole positions throughout the year. Sure, those were a bit strategic in by by core's standard and in having Colin qualify the car and then they make a driver change to John to start the race and he'd have to start from the rear of the field. But that still didn't detract from the performance that Colin put in in that Orica throughout the season. The engineering that went behind the scenes, the team was using a, a volunteer uh, simulator driver in, I believe, Spain to, to sort of relay data on back and forth because they didn't have the budgets that the other teams had for for real proper sim work prior to each race and just the whole factor of it all you know and 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 colin's tenacity behind the wheel we we saw it on multiple occasions this year i think really put him in a level above any other driver that this this season and prototype i think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who stands out more relative to their peers over the course of a year in any category or any series of sports car racing around the world uh this this past year colin was just on another level, uh, I I hate to use the term uh, handcuffed, but to some degree he was just because he was part of a, a pro-am driver lineup in a pro-pro class against some of the biggest, most professional teams around. And uh, consistently he was on pace. Consistently he was overcoming deficits. I'll give John Bennett credit. He consistently also put, the, put Colin in a position where he could recover, staying on the lead lap, uh, staying clean on track, doing everything that he needed to do to give this team a chance to try and pull an upset or two. And by and large, when provided the opportunity, they did. And I think Colin deserves a ton of credit for that. Just a fantastic season for him. I do think uh, honorable mention maybe to Felipe Nasser, who 
was amazing, uh, frankly, winning a championship in his first year racing in the series, going to a lot of these tracks for the first time. These are not tracks that are easy to prepare for. A lot of street courses, for instance, that it's not like you can go uh, and just hop on iRacing or something like that, uh, at least uh, for, for a handful of them. And and he was always on the pace. I think uh, Eric Curry and his teammate deserves credit for helping to bring him along. But Felipe Nasser exceeded expectation, and I think the expectation was quite high coming in considering his F1 pedigree. But uh, even still, Colin Brown, to me, is, is the clear-cut pick. Yeah, and I would say a couple other honorable mentions include Pippo Durrani and Steven Simpson. They both were also very strong this year, um, winning on, on multiple occasions. Steven helping steer the, the Gainsco-sponsored uh, JDC car to its first overall victory in the Salem's six-hour of the Glen, and, and Pippo being part of the lineup at, at the winning lineup at Sebring and uh, Laguna Seca, which would end up being the team's final victory as as we know it so um lots of talent in the prototype class and, and i think it all sort of showed this year for sure definitely so outstanding stuff from the year in prototype racing but uh, some great racing in the gt ranks as well and we'll talk about that next on double stint hi i'm cooper mcneil and you're listening to sports car 365's double stint podcast Welcome back to Double Stint. Let's dive into GT Le Mans and GT Daytona in our year-in-review of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, Corvette, another GTLM driver's title. This time, Antonio Garcia and Jan Magnussen pick up uh, the championship there and do so in dramatic fashion, which I suspect we're going to talk about here in a little while. We also have uh, BMW's strong finish with its brand-new uh, GTE, GTLM, in this case, spec car. Uh, some other storylines, I'm sure, to, to pick through, too. What, John, was was the most intriguing element of GT Le Mans in uh, 2018? Well, I think it was just the sheer consistency from Antonio and Jan. They, they went the full season without actually winning a race, and they still won the title um, by six points over Ryan Briscoe and Richard Westbrook. And I, I think that sort of shows the 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 state of Corvette racing is in today. They've had extremely consistent driver lineups. I don't think they've had a change for uh, seven or eight years, and, and from their full season lineup, that is. And and also the, the car has been a proven contender. There's been no development work, obviously, with the way the regs are, but the C7R is a proven commodity, and it's just been bulletproof and and that's kind of the way the season unfolded until we got to Petit Le Mans when Antonio made a very uncharacteristic mistake under a safety car um, spinning and, and crashing the car but it was really the story of the team rebuilding it that got him back out on track and ultimately gave them the championship so um, really remarkable stuff I, I, I think that you know we've always seen ultra competitive grids in, in GTLM and this year was no different but um, I I think it was really the team that won the Drivers' Championship this year for Corvette. I think that's right, uh, and their consistency was a huge story, a huge part of their success. I think the Fords at times appeared to be maybe the class of the field, but they were remarkably inconsistent. It seemed like they couldn't go consecutive races without uh, the same car having a problem. Uh, it seemed like one would be towards the front and another would be falling back or having an issue uh, of some kind, 
And meanwhile, the Corvettes just kept plugging along and, and doing what it is that, that they're known for, which is always being there at the end, not making many mistakes. And when they do make mistakes, finding a way to recover. And, and that really is the story of their season. I do think that uh, having a Ford versus Chevy battle to the finish is always going to play well in the U.S. market. But uh, and and the, the Corvette and the, the Ford GT are maybe the two most iconic cars on the grid in GTLM. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic season, but uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, I think what BMW did in the second half of the year should give the BMW folks on the other side of the pond in the WEC some excitement perhaps for what's to come. It's a different BOP system, true, but clearly that package has some pace. Uh, I thought it was really nice after the near miss at Road America for BMW to bounce back and get some strong finishes towards the end of the year. Yeah, uh, obviously the breakthrough win for Connor DeFilippe and Alexander Sims at VIR. Um, they, back, they went back-to-back back with another class win at Laguna Seca. I think that says a lot for the car. I'm sure, like you said, different BOP. Um, they got some massive concessions by IMSA early on in the year after some controversy and some struggles um, with the car. But I, I think things were reined back a little bit mid-year, and, and things you know sort of came into their place with with the car and remarkably i think the the season went for, for the last four races without a single bop change and um that's been unheard of in in recent years in imsa competition so hats off to the technical department in imsa i, I think they really got gtlm down to a science and really made it a, an interesting show between the four different manufacturers how about GT Daytona? What a thrilling battle we had at the top of this class, pretty much from the start of the season to the end. Ultimately, Paul Miller Racing ends up uh, with the Drivers' Championship. Lamborghini ends up with the Manufacturers' Championship. Brian Sellers and Madison Snow do just enough to hold off Catherine Legg in a car that was supposed to be a partial season only, which I think is maybe one of the more fun parts of of the 2018 season, watching Catherine and for the most of the year, Alvaro Parent battling to keep that ride going for the rest of the year, staying in the championship hunt and taking it right down to the wire. Uh, I thought that was some, some great stuff, uh, but especially knowing what we know now, with uh, the recent news that Madison Snow is going to be sitting out for at least a year, given his recent promotion by IMSA from silver to gold uh, in terms of driver ratings. Uh, this Paul Miller Racing Championship seems all the more sweet, uh, and, and Madison's development, to me, is, is the story of the year. He was racing tremendously all year long, going against some of the leading lights in GT3 racing and holding his own and frequently beating them. Uh, that, that, to me, was what gave Paul Miller Racing the, the opportunity to, to win the championship. They had so many more options strategically because of the pace of Madison and, of course, Brian. Absolutely, and you saw a similar advantage strategically by the, the 93 uh, MSR Acura as well with Leg and, and Parent, um, Leg being the silver-rated driver there, and um, both of those, you know, situations have been resolved for next year with Madison being bumped up to gold by IMSA and Catherine being bumped up to gold by the FIA, which IMSA will also accept. So uh, we're not going to see anything like this again in this class. But honestly, I would say those two teams were kind of in a league of their own just for that fact that they had a superior driver lineup, and I don't. 
don't think it's any discredit to Madison. I think it's a, absolutely, like you said, Ryan, I think it's really credit to what he's been able to achieve as a up-and-coming driver, as a silver-rated driver that brings budget to the team. And it's a shame that he's now considered a gold in some ways, but that shows that he has matured to a new level where he can compete for overall wins on a one-to-one basis Well, against the likes of Brian Sellers, Catherine Lego, Viral Parent, Kyle Marcelli, all the guys that were in this this class. So, yeah, it, it was an interesting battle all year. I, I'd say Paul Miller definitely had the leg up. I think they only um, missed the podium three times this year. Um, a pair of victories, the, obviously the big one being the 12 hours of Sebring coming on the heels of Lamborghini's first 24-hour win at Daytona earlier in the year with uh, the Grasser team. So much like you would see, you know, as a, a, a very big year for Paul Miller and Brian and Madison, it was even a bigger year for Lamborghini, I would say, in North American competition and sort of a breakout season for the Italian manufacturer. But um, yeah, GTD sort of felt like a bit of a, a separated battle at times between the uh, those two cars and some of the others that were battling it out um, with maybe some bronze-rated drivers. But um, a lot of that should be resolved for next year as IMSA has definitely clamped down on the, on the driver rating situation. Well, it was a memorable season for a lot of different reasons. Let's get to our GT Le Mans, GT Daytona awards, postseason awards. And we'll start with our standout moment. Uh, I think the Corvette repairs at Petit Le Mans come quickly to my mind. What about you, John? Yeah, that's an easy one. It's definitely the Corvette uh, spin and win. or Well, I guess you wouldn't call it a win because they didn't win the race, but spin and championship win yeah. or whatever you want to say. So um, great stuff. Um, hats off to Dan Binks and the whole uh, uh, Pratt & Miller-led crew for helping get Antonio back on track and and um, pulling off the, the championship title there. Doug Feehan is not... He's never a quiet guy, but I've, I'm not sure I've ever seen him quite that excited or, or quite that willing to talk about something uh, as he was after the race that night. He was so proud of what his crew had done and, and the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes to prepare for a moment exactly like that. And uh, just hearing him talk about it with such glowing terms, um, that, that stood out to me, certainly. And, and there's no doubt if there is a a deciding moment of the season. It's probably that, regardless of the class. It was absolutely tremendous. One other thing I did want to to mention, though, the the season got off to something of an inauspicious start for Paul Miller Racing. You'll remember that the Lamborghini had, I think it was an engine problem at Daytona just before the race, and they actually took their Lamborghini over to New, New Smyrna Speedway to shake down the car after an engine change. Uh, did so at kind of the last minute. They had to get the track opened up and turn on the lights and that whole that whole deal. And uh, Brian Sellers is out there in a GT3 Lamborghini around this famous short track in Florida. I thought that was a really cool story. And, you know, if they don't catch the engine problem and get it tested and, and taken care of there and, and maybe they don't finish the way that they do at Daytona, and given how close the championship in GTD was for much of the season, maybe they don't win the championship. So that was another thing from way back in January that comes to mind for a standout moment. That's a really good point because that third place finish at Daytona, if they didn't have that, they wouldn't have won the championship for sure. So um, really, really good work. And it shows the level of attention to detail that that team has. And um, we uh, really hats off to that whole team uh, led by Mitchell Simmons. Definitely. So uh, how about our GT Le Mans driver of the year? John, does anyone stand out to you? 
GTLM driver of the year. So I would have to say it goes to Richard Westbrook. Um, the 67 car, much like the 66 Ford, they were really unlucky throughout the season. They had a really tough closing end of the, of the season with clutch issues at VIR that ultimately resulted in the seventh place uh, classification and then also um, damage at uh, Laguna Seca that ended up with a sixth place result. And that ultimately cost them the championship. I remember speaking to, to Westy um, at the post uh, a, a season awards banquet at the Chateau Elan, and he was sort of saying like what what it could have been if those results you know had they just had scored a third or a fourth place finish in those races they would have had enough points to to take home the title and it's a shame because the Ford was definitely I think the quickest car overall on the season um, the, the the other uh, sister car of, of Joey Hannon Dirk Ver, uh, Dirk Mueller proved that as well um, with two wins on the season and um, also an unlucky unlucky close to the to the year so if but out of all the drivers and i would say westbrook was definitely another strong um uh, contender throughout the year and um he really deserves in in my books to be the driver of the year in gtlm yeah that was my pick too and really i don't have a whole lot to add to that just a really tremendous season for him in a year where the results don't necessarily uh fully explain just just how good he and that car in particular uh, were over the course of the season. So I, I'm in agreement there. GT Daytona, driver of the year. I talked about it earlier. To me, it's Madison Snow for all the reasons we've discussed. Just his development, the fact that he could go toe-to-toe with anybody in this class when there were some pretty stout driver lineups, especially in the long-distance races. Um, to me, it, just, it was his improvement and his performance that was the, the, the X factor in them winning the championship. So uh, you also factor in how well he performed in uh, the Super Trofeo series. I think it's pretty clear for me that uh, Madison Snow is the driver of the year. Yeah, easy one to agree with there as well. Um, not much more to add. Just like you, just like the as in the case of GTLM, um, real standout. I think the a year of Madison Snow's, you know, the maturation as a driver, no doubt. And um, it's a shame we probably won't be seeing him next year in uh, in racing. Yeah, definitely a shame uh, because he was coming into his own. But hopefully, it's just a brief hiatus and we see him back on track here before too much longer. Uh, finally, our race of the year overall. So uh, factoring in all of the various classes to you, John, what uh, was the best race of the year in the WeatherTech Championship? I, I think it was Road America. Um, a real nail-biter, as it usually is, as it comes down to fuel mileage. And and the the battles, I remember having to rewrite the, the, the race report twice as there was ups and downs throughout the closing stages of that race. And um, seeing Core sort of pull off the upset there on, on fuel mileage was another shocker, I would have to say. And it really, just the level of excitement looking at all the unpredictability, both in prototype and GTLM and GTD, all three classes and that race really um, made it a memorable one for me. That was my runner-up. I think Petit LeBas gets the nod for me for very similar reasons. Uh, It seemed like all the classes came down to the wire. We had championships that were coming down to the wire. To your point that you made about Road America, I remember rewriting uh, race reports at, uh, at, at Road Atlanta as well at that media center, which is usually the sign that the, the race was pretty crazy coming to the finish. Uh, just had a little bit of everything, some really captivating championship battles in addition to the, the fight on the track uh, for the race wins in the various classes. I, I think Petit Le Mans gets the nod, but uh, there, were, there were a handful. It was a tough one to choose here this time around. Uh, let's 
do a quick recap of what happened in the, the final year of the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, at least by that name. In the GS class, Hugh Plum and Owen Trinkler won the championship for Team TGM. That was pretty cool to see. In general, we saw the GT4 car count to be strong. The renaissance for the GS class continues, it would seem, at least through 2018. In the first year of TCR, Brett Casey Jr. and Tom Long won the championship. Uh, frankly, that car count wasn't what we hoped. We would have liked to see a bit more variety as well amongst uh, the various competitors. However, I do think some help is coming in that respect for the next uh, season in 2019. And finally, the uh, ST class, Devin Jones and Nick Gallant winning in uh, that class for Bimmer World Racing in the end of an era. Uh, much has been made about it being the final race with cars that actually you have to shift gears manually with a manual gearbox that um, isn't a paddle shift uh, uh, apparatus. Uh, so that that's one element of it. And that ST class has been such a strong class for so many years, so many great races. I think uh, we're all sad in some some way to see that go away but uh all in all an interesting year in continental tire challenge uh what what jumps to you john as you think back on 2018 in that series i think it was the breakout season for for gs you know looking at the car counts you know we saw a lot of cars last year as well but um some races there were over 30 i, I believe at, at a couple of the rounds rounds and that just shows the strength of the gt4 platform and, and i'm really excited to see even more cars next year um, like you said, TCR is going to be um, set for uh, increased growth with Hyundai and Honda coming in. I think the biggest thing also is sort of, as you said, an end of an era of many sorts, of end of an era of ST, end of an era of Continental's involvement in, in the series and in the IMSA sanction altogether as Michelin takes over as the entitlement sponsor of this championship and the official tire in the WeatherTech championship. So we're going to be set for lots of changes starting next year, especially in this series as well. Was, as it was known as the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, as it'll become the Michelin uh, Pilot Challenge for, for 2019. Yep, uh, that's going to take some getting used to for sure. And big thanks to Continental Tire for all that they've done for IMSA uh, as well in, in their time and specifically for that class. Uh, talked to a lot of people over the course of the year this year who had a lot of very nice things to say about the Continental Tire Challenge series and Conti's involvement in it and then also for their efforts in marketing sports car racing more generally. So uh, definitely the end of an era from that perspective, too. Let's get our final break in now. And when we come back, we will take a look to the future of IMSA, the WeatherTech Championship, and elsewhere. That's next on Double Stint. Hi, this is Renger van der Zander. You're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, John, let's take a peek into the future here. The 2019 season, really not all that far away as we're recording this here at early December of 2018. That is one nice thing about IMSA. It kicks off nice and early with uh, all the activity starting off in January. We've got a lot of interesting stories coming in 2019. I think uh, the, the top class being split in two with DPI and, Pro, uh, and LMP2 cars competing in separate classes. That is uh, going to be of particular interest going into next year, especially when we know that the car count in DPI ought to be very strong, but there's a lot of question about the future and uh, level of subscription in LMP2. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest storylines in this short offseason, especially with the news that Core Autosport has reversed its decision um, to return with an LMP2 car and instead has purchased the assets from uh, Extreme Speed Motorsports. And that'll be a, a single car Nissan DPI effort for Colin Brown and John Bennett. Um, great news for them. I, I think that's a, a great situation to have them remain in the top prototype class, but it leaves us with a very depleted um, LMP2 field if it wasn't really already. Um, by my count, there's only two full season teams committed in, in PR1 Motorsports and uh, Performance Tech. Those teams have yet to announce driver lineups as of tape as of we're taping this. So there's still some questions there. But um, speaking to Scott Atherton, the IMSA president, he has reaffirmed their commitment commitment to LMP2. He says the, the core news doesn't change anything. They're actively working with teams with cars to try to get them on the grid. And um, he's hopeful of having a, a good grid of LMP2s at Daytona and hopefully um, seeing out the year without any major um, challenges with LMP2. Bottom line is that IMSA remains committed to the platform. There's no plans to combine the categories again. And um, it'll be disappointing that I'm sure LMP2 cars won't be in the spotlight as much as we've seen them recently but um yeah i I, you know it is what it is and i I think we just have to sort of move on that's right um another interesting story to keep an eye on is car count in gt daytona because imsa has done a lot to try and boost the gt3 subscription in the weathertech championship one of the elements and and probably one of the most noteworthy ones here recently has been their uh, decision to take it upon themselves to address driver ratings where they feel like uh, a change is merited, and that's to try and combat the super silver issue that we've seen take over sports car racing in in a couple different series in multiple categories. Um, Madison Snow is one name that that certainly is going to come up. We've talked about it already. The question that I have here, John, is yes, maybe you have eliminated some of these fast silvers that are questionable as to whether or not they are AMs, but is that really going to be enough to boost the car count in GTD? And if if so, or if not, are the other elements that IMSA has implemented, uh, is that going to be enough to try and entice more teams into the GTD ranks? I think it's sort of a two-faceted approach. Um, I don't think we're going to see an increase in car counts for the overall season. Um, I think we're going to have similar numbers, especially with some uncertainty with with some of the teams heading into next year, including Paul Miller now with without its fun to driver in Madison Snow. Um, they had been looking at a Pirelli World Challenge, a, a Blancpain GT uh, World Challenge America program for next year. Now it's sort of all up in the air as of we're taping this. So um, we'll have to wait and see what that holds for them, but I think we're going to see a considerable growth in GTD entries for the WeatherTech Sprint Cup races. We've already seen multiple commitments by teams for those sprint um, for those seven races um, as in the new for 2019 championship, including More Speed, um, FAF Motorsports moving over from PwC. We also should have a couple McLarens on the grid. It looks like um, potentially by Flying Lizard Motorsports and Compass Racing. Um, some other teams sizing up uh, Sprint Cup only programs as 
well. So um, I, we probably could see upwards of 20 GTD cars on, at some of those races. So that'll be really exciting. Um, as of how IMSA reacts with the driver rating situation, I, I think that they're really trying to make a concerted effort here to, to get this solved and, and you know, taken care of. It's a huge challenge because the FIA is ultimately in charge of the ratings. Um, IMSA has their own discretion to, to change, uh, adjust drivers on their own, and they've done that with Madison and, and Sheldon Vanderlinde, who have both been upgraded to gold um, for the IMSA competition only. There's still a few others in my books that, you know, could slip through that are silvers. Um, also, you have to look at some drivers of age that are moving up there to near 50 years old, and they're soon going to be silvers. So it's a never-ending battle, I think, with driver ratings. Um, IMSA has their work cut out for them, but um, I think it's kudos to them for at least trying and giving it a go and and trying to live up to their commitment of, of providing um, GTD to be a, a true pro-am environment where you have gentlemen drivers racing against the pros and it's not turning into a, an all-pro category. Yes, that's right. Uh, a couple other stories to look ahead to in 2019. You mentioned it earlier, Michelin coming in. They've been a part of the championship in GTLM for a while, but certainly stepping up their involvement uh, within the IMSA umbrella. And also IMSA set to celebrate its 50th season in 2019, and I know they have uh, some various other things planned to commemorate that milestone, plus the addition of a new TV network and broadcast coverage. Yeah, NBC Sports takes over from from Fox Sports uh, beginning next year, and we're going to probably see a, a little revised uh, TV talent lineup there. A uh, bigger commitment to uh, live racing. Um, NBC Sports Network's going to carry the majority of the races, which is uh, an improvement over a lot of the rounds that were on Fox Sports 2 throughout the year. And we also have IMSA Radio coming back a, as well. Um, the familiar voices of John Hindoff, Jeremy Shaw, Shay Adam. be great to have them back as, as well um, for, for 2019. They always do a great job trackside and, and really looking forward to uh, kicking it all off here in just a few short weeks. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it for sure. It uh, was a fantastic 2018 season, which gave us a lot to discuss here in our Year in Review episode, but we're ready to hit the ground running come January with the beginning of the 2019 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season. That's it for us on the show this week. Another edition of our Year in Review podcast coming up Next week, you may have noticed, no questions on this week's program, and that's just due to the format here of uh, the Year in Review episodes. Some of these get recorded quite a bit of time before they uh, actually air, so that's part of the deal there. But you can keep sending questions into us, and we'll get to them with our first regular episode uh, sometime around the turn of the calendar coming up uh, in 2019. So that's a wrap for us this week. Talk to you next week with our next edition of the Double Stand Podcast. 